Hello and welcome back to the Doctor Who Show's Hot Takes of Flux. This week is Chapter 4, Village of the Angels. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And we're going to dive right into what I think in some ways could be our most challenging episode to review for a long time, but I think also one of our most exciting. Mm. Um, See if I'm right. But before we go any further, Rob, what is your word for the week this week? Precipice. My word for the week is deliberate. Okay, excellent. (laughs) So look, let me start by saying I said that this was going to be a difficult episode to review in some ways because I think that it was in some ways one note, but it was a fantastic note. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I will be able to properly give balance to the positivity and uh, 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 that I think this episode definitely deserves. So I think it does deserve a lot of positivity whilst also pulling out a lot of little minor things that we need to talk about. So can can I, can we tonally properly reflect this episode whilst pulling it apart? That is our challenge. Uh, I've said I liked it, Rob. What are your top comments? My top comments, Dave, is I'm in unfamiliar territory here. I've only been here once or twice before in the Chibnall era. I think it's that good. Uh, spoilers, I don't think it's a classic. I'll say that up front. But it goes close for me. And there are reasons I don't think it's a classic, which hopefully will get teased out as we talk about it over the half hour ahead. Yeah, look, I think I'm in exactly the same territory as you. This is this is a near classic for me. Maybe I'll talk myself up to it being a classic over the course of the next half hour <laughs> or so. But, but I think you're right, and this is kind of what I was alluding to, in defining the things that just pull it back from being a classic. It may sound as though we're perhaps tearing the episode apart a bit. I don't want it to sound like that. So uh, that that's that's my challenge. I think, Rob, you're probably in a similar place. Yes, I feel very good about this episode. So anything I say, folks, uh, it's coming from a place of uh, love and respect. Me too, me too. <laughs> okay, let's dive in. It's called Village of the Angels. I'm going to say from the start, this episode is almost failure-proof. Mm. You take 1960s isolated English village at night time. Yes. Classic setting, classic setting. Yeah. You put in angels, which are, I think most people would say, the big iconic villain or monster to come out of New Who, for, for better or worse. We can talk about that. You put those two things together, this this is a failure-proof concept. What did you think of those concepts, Rob, particularly the angels? Well, Dave, before we got to those concepts, they did do a previously trailer where they doubled down on me and your as-yet-unborn child. <laughs> and I had to have a chuckle at that. But let's move on from that. No, I did <laughs> notice that, yes. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that uh, A few minutes in, I was thinking to myself, hey, this is the demons meets Hyde, you know, because like you say, we're in the village at night. That's the demons. We've got this researcher doing some odd experiments. That's Hyde. We've got the local woman who seems to know what's going on and she's warning people. That's the we demons. We literally had me. Hawthorne, yes. <laughs> yes. And we've got that cool 60s vibe. That's Hyde. So I thought, this better be bloody good. It's cribbing ideas from some good stories. It's got arguably Modern Who's best monster creation in it. Can even Chibnall mess that up? You know, and that was the thought in my head as we kicked off. And to be very clear, I hoped he wouldn't mess it up. I wasn't, you know, praying, oh, I hope he messes this up. Won't that be great? No, 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 not at all. And I think with the help of Maxine Alderton, uh, she who wrote The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which I love, I think he kept this one on the road doing some interesting stuff all the way through. Yeah, and then later on we even got the energy barrier around the village just to go yes. extra demons. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and 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 a, and a barrow, a burial chamber. Yes. 
Yeah, this is this this is this is demons redux. That's and that's look. If you're going to crib off something, crib off the best. That's that's very cool. But the angels themselves, I think that there is a very large drain of thought in fandom generally, and one that I certainly subscribe to that the angels were phenomenally good in Blink. Yes, not too bad in Time of Angels, Flesh of Stone, Flesh, mm. Flesh and Stone, and very very rapidly diminishing returns from there on in. Yeah, each time the Angels have come back, they've had to do more and more gimmicky things with them, and that's made the stories not as not as good, I think it's fair to say. Here, there was a, a slightly different thing. The bit where it was coming out of the paper, and she scrunched up the paper, and then it scrunched up the angel that was appearing, I thought, oh, that's really good. But then she set the paper on fire, and for some reason the angel came back, even though the paper was still scrunched up. I mean, it was this great visual, the angel is on fire, Wow, that's great. But I didn't really understand the mechanics of that given the paper was still scrunched up. So a little inconsistent here and there. And they didn't go out and do more and more gimmicky things with them. You know, we've seen all this stuff coming out of TV monitors and things before. So that was good. It was good that they didn't do anything too weird. Yeah, I, I agree. I have to, have to say I really liked that, that fire sequence because it subverted my expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. which I really liked, and I, I thought it was good. But, yeah, look, emphasise the point. This is just angels being really creepy. And you're right, there weren't new gimmicks, but we got to sort of see a bit more of stuff that was established, but we'd not seen quite before. We sort of got different perspectives of how the angels send people back and what that experience is like, which I thought added to the angels' mystique without being gimmicky. I think that's a really good point. Something I enjoyed in the Sontaran episode there was complaints that the doctor was looking at soldiers in Crimean War uniforms and rather than just saying, oh, this is the Crimean War, had to get out the Sonic and wave it around. Here, I really enjoyed that scene where she started smelling clothes to determine the era and even got in that gag that the guy must have owned his coat since the 1940s (laughs) because she thought it was the 1940s. I thought, this is great. But then almost straight away, the Sonic came out and was getting waved around for the rest of the episode, you know, including that ultra annoying thing of where she looks at it for a readout. And there is no readout on it, Jody. What are you looking at? (laughs) Yeah, there was a very, very heavy sonic screwdriver tricorder scene that actually quite irritated me and for mm. a while was uh, in contention for foul of the week but it was pipped later on but that that was a weak scene uh rob something that i got wrong and then kind of got right mm-hmm. in uh in, in previous discussions when we did a hot take chat about chapter one months ago now it feels like yes i speculated that maybe claire knew about the Doctor and everything because Claire was someone who had been sent back Mm. in time. But Peggy was exactly that plot. So I did see that plot coming just with the wrong person. Yeah. And Peggy, isn't she a bit precocious? (laughs) Well, look, okay, we'll dive into Peggy before Claire since since we're there. I, I thought Peggy was very well acted, very interesting as a concept. I didn't click that she was going to be Miss Hawthorne until... It actually almost was revealed, so I thought that was very cleverly done. I'm still not quite sure how young Peggy knows all about what the angels are doing. Mm. Um, it, it sort of feels like after she got sent back to 901, an angel sat down and exposited at her so she could expose it to us. Um, and look, at least it was done, the expedition was done in a very natural way. It was Peggy having a conversation with Yaz and Dan, and I, I'm not having a go at that, but I, I didn't quite get why she was... Why, why, why young Peggy knew all the stuff. I get now why old Peggy knew all the stuff, mm. but, but, not, but not young Peggy. I thought she was a bit precocious. She takes on board and accepts things a little too easily. 
And while the performance was mostly good, she got very child actor at the dinner table where she started using her hands and explaining things in a very child actor kind of way. Did you notice that? Yeah, the, the, the dinner table scene was the first scene that she had that I really noticed that. And my note at that point was not complimentary, but all the stuff she did on location I thought was very good. So I, I, I let the majority rule on my view. Yeah, look, she was largely sweet, but I've got to pull up that the way she reacted to her carers dying was cold AF. You know, we get the idea that she didn't like Gerald, that the story pummeled us with that repeatedly as if he was like this really bad dude, even though for mine, most of his actions in the episode felt that he at least felt responsible for her and did have some care for her, even if he didn't actually show it. But what really got me was Jean, you know, like like Gerald, she got turned into stone and exploded and Peggy didn't give a shit about her either, you know? It's weird. She's like this tiny little sociopath. <laughs> Damn, strange yeah, character. So, uh, that, that all leads me just to wonder whether we have yet to see the rest of Peggy, whether there is something yet to come with Peggy. Is, is she a pre-Hartnell doctor or is, is she the Rani? I don't know. But, yeah, a couple of... They'll either turn out to be loose ends that are picked up or just loose ends that'll be a bit strange. Back to Claire. What did you think? Look, I wonder if there's something more to Claire, like if she's in some sort of tricky sort of time loop or something. I don't know. There's something going on, you know, and I'm not even getting down the rabbit hole of is she Dan's bride who ran off back in the day. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's an interesting idea. Um, Mm. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. That that could work. Um, I'm I'm with you. And and this is, again, the the, the, not, not a problem. It's a good thing. But the difficulty in talking about flux as a story is that we're watching part four in isolation and we don't know if there is stuff in this episode that is purely self-contained as we just said with Peggy and and I think the same with Claire or Mm. is there stuff which with deliberate threads left dangling because part five or part six are going to pick them up I would be very surprised if the Claire threads are done now I think that we are going to learn a bit more about exactly what's going on with her Mm. what she is who her background is and I think we're going to get probably an explanation as to why she's psychic, why she has got these premonitions. Um, Has she had an experience? Is she something more than she appears? I think we're going to get those threads picked up. And if we don't, these will just be very sort of strange plot contrivances. Yeah, just to pad out the series. (laughs) Yaz and Dan separated from the Doctor fairly quickly and sent back to 1901. Once again, I, I think that Flux is using the larger TARDIS crew far more effectively than the Chibnallera has in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was quite effective in seeing two sides of this time effect. But more generally, Rob, what did you think of Yaz and Dan in this one? I, I like that they slipped off to do their own thing. I think that's always good in Doctor Who. I think Dan had the better share of it. So Yaz was kind of sidelined yet again, which isn't to say I think her performance was bad. When she got a moment, she did well. She just didn't get given a lot to do or some good lines like Dan had. Yeah, which is interesting because I'm going to have a view that I, I don't know if this is going to prove to be controversial or a minority view. I, I really can't get a sense around fandom at the moment, but I agree that Dan got the better lines and I didn't feel like he did anything with them. I, I, I still feel like John Bishop is sort of wandering around the set or the location, just sort of giving his lines with a very even, bewildered look. Uh, mm. without really sort of making me feel much about him. And, and again, I, I compare this to Bradley Walsh and, and Graham in previous seasons. At this stage, Gra- you know, Graham had had moments of real, like really 
good humour or really good emotion. And I think Dan's been a little bit too one note for me. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But it doesn't take away that if there's a funny line, he gets it because he's the comedian, I guess. Yeah, he does. And, and, and maybe he feels a little bit self-conscious about the fact that he is a comedian and maybe mm. that people aren't going to take him seriously in the drama unless he's really serious in the drama. He's, he's trying not to let his comedic vibe show. It, it almost feels a bit like Alexis Sale in Revelation of the Daleks, desperately <laughs> trying not to be Alexis Sale. Right, yes. Um, yeah, I don't know whether what, what other people feel about that. Anything else you want to say about the Angel's Earth-based plot before we sort of go off to... Uh, other tangents and other locations no no i've got much more to say about other characters like professor jericho for example so let's let's move on to other stuff okay we'll, we'll move half a step away and that is to the vision between the doctor and the fugitive angel the ruth mm-hmm. angel maybe we could call it um, <laughs> that was a scene that to me was very well shot, really creepy and really interesting, and went to places I wasn't expecting, but did give me real vibes of the master explaining the plot to the doctor in the timeless child. Where mm-hmm. did you stand on all that? Oh, I think so. I mean, visually, I think it looked amazing because I was halfway through the scene and I thought, hang on, the, the tide is coming in on both sides of the screen. How would you do this? Oh, they're standing on the same side and they've doubled it up so it looks like they're looking at each other. That's very clever. So I, I, I kind of like how it was how it was uh, shot. But aside from exposition, which is a given in just about anything Chibnall does, I think this episode did that very Chibnall thing of not trusting the audience mm. to really understand anything that's happening, especially visually without someone on the cast describing what we can already see happening. But I I guess that's his style. It's in every damn episode, either the exposition or this not trusting the audience thing to to understand what they're seeing. Um, Yeah, there was was a really clunky line that Claire had about, and just before, dust came out of my eye. Yes, we know, we saw. (laughs) That's a perfect... I didn't have that in my notes, but that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Did did you expect the division to be in cahoots with the angels? Did that blow you away as a revelation? Oh, look, it it, it opened questions for me, as did the fact that halfway through the episode, they started being referred to as division without the the in front of it. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's something. Is division going to mean something different? Like, I've always thought of the division as like, you know, a bunch of detectives. Maybe it's because that's how we first saw them in that episode. Yeah, you like know, The Office. Or- yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I was curious how they were just called division. As well as thinking about, oh, Time Lords using all these different species, whatever you want to say. I also had the thought in my head, Dave, I don't know if you did. Why is the division still going if Gallifrey's gone? Oh yeah, Gallifrey's gone, hasn't it? I, I keep keep I keep forgetting the status of Gallifrey. I must admit, it's it's too hard to keep up with these days. Yeah, look, look, uh, I, I I did think the scene was a li- look, look, look for an episode that was for the most part show not tell and was not, mm. um, and, and, and was probably the best example of Jim actually using his red pen and crossing things out. It wasn't perfect, but look, that was the one scene that did I think stand out as being a little bit old school Chibnall and just let's stand there and have somebody exposit to the Doctor for a bit. But yeah. I, I almost think of it because it was so well filmed and also because it did raise questions that, once again, we are now effectively four hours into a six-hour story. Yes. 
and and this again threw things at me that goes, okay, I'm still invested. I still want to know what's going on. I can see a few threads coming together, but they're opening up new threads and new leads, which is a really good place to be two thirds of the way through a story. So for, for my criticisms, I still thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. Let's pull out a bit further. I, I've got a question for you, Rob. Yes. How big was the flux? What universe size or, or? Yeah, yes? Was it was it is, is is it a sort of a galactic cloud that's sort of wandering through the, the 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 universe and it went through Earth system and destroyed a few planets or or was this a galactic or universal scale event? You know, so when we're flying around this this place, is the universe basically now just in ruins or is it a localized event? I I'm still not quite sure about the flux. Well, we get that sense from Bell where she's sort of tooling around in the ship. I guess we don't know the capabilities of this ship, whether it can go go to light speed and, you know, go to different yeah. places in the universe or whatever, whether she's just flying around a sort of a local system because she was certainly flying through a lot of wreckage and things and she was doing that the week before as well. I, I like to think it's ravaged half the universe or something like that, like a big expanse, but not everything. Yeah, I, I I like the idea and I like the visuals of it. It was very good. I do sort of feel that I don't think we've quite been shown as an audience exactly what the flux, not what the flux was, because I think that's a, a, an explanation that's going to come later, but, but what the flux did. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not quite sure of that. And, and maybe I'm just being a bit picky there. Well, it seems very small scale when you have Azure sort of pop up you know, Sermon on the Mount style, <laughs> and, and she harvests what doesn't seem like a very big group of people, really, into Passenger. And you think this seems very small scale. If, if the whole universe is getting smashed and stuff to, to just go down to a planet and grab a few dozen people, that seemed very small scale. I, I might have liked to have seen that on a much bigger scale done with CGI, like have 10,000 people there. You know, I don't know. Yeah, or, or, or is the flux just so destructive that in this part of the galaxy, or maybe in the whole galaxy, there are only a handful of people left. I, I'm still not quite sure. I still don't, don't quite have the context of that. And and I think that that's something that, that has been missing. Um, even though it was a very interesting little side bit, it, um, Bell got to hang out with Neil from the Inbetweeners, which was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought that that little, little side journey was a really interesting way to keep the rest of the Flux story going. I did like the slight way to have a break from the angels thing but of all the plot stuff in this episode this was just a little bit cliche for me uh it was it was a little bit you know hey there's somebody who promises to take you to somewhere awesome and they're they're really bad guys quick my friend i've just met let's escape um (laughs) that that kind of felt like you know i've seen this many times before but i don't care because it looked great and it was neil from the inbetweeners yeah. Uh, mentioning Belle there, I'll, I'll just quickly throw in that we saw a bit less of her this week. I think that was good because last week she turned up and she's like, I'm Belle. I blow away platoons of Cybermen with my pistol. I steal spaceships. I do this. You know, <laughs> I'm just super positive about everything. She seemed a bit more realistic this time around. And I do want to note that people had been saying one of her lines last week was, you know, when, when I see you again, Vinda, will you look different? And everyone's like, will he look different? Does he regenerate? And no, the, the little hologram she has of him, he looks exactly like the Vinda we know with the dreadlocks and all of that. So she's just expecting him to, I guess, have aged a little since she last saw him, not actually be a different person. Yeah, just, you know, he's, he's gone away and done a bit of bit of work and, yeah, got older. I, I, I didn't read too much into that, but, but mm. who knows. 
not a bad little theory. Um, good to see Azure pop up, just to keep that bit of the plot going. That was yes. kind of cool. I've got a note here to say that the music was very Buffy-esque uh, in a lot of places, I thought. Yes, and also there was a sound effect whenever the angels did something that reminded me of something, a sound effect in the musical version of War of the Worlds. I just want to note that as well. I can't replicate it now with my mouth. No, no, <laughs> so I, I won't exactly do it. the one you mean. Um, yeah, look, the, the sound of the music was really, really good. Uh, Rob, they're the main points that I've got apart from the post credit scene, which I think appropriately we will do last before the sports mm-hmm. desk. Uh, any characters or things that you particularly want to talk about? Yeah, I did want to mention Professor Jericho because sure. I didn't I didn't know where this character was going to go at first. There is a tendency in modern TV and film to make guys, especially older guys, you know, blunderers and the arrogant types. If you need a blunder or an arrogant type, it's going to be the older guy. And I think they did that with Gerald in this episode. But Jericho, who's a similar age, I guess, turns out okay. It wasn't until later in the episode that we got the Belson thing happening. And I thought, oh, what age would he have been when Belson was happening? Like, he would have been in his 40s, maybe. He must have been an officer. Mm. But putting that aside, I think his line where they the angels are using his voice, he says, it's a very clever trick, but most impolite without permission. <laughs> I think that was a very good line. And also, and this is the one I really wanted to bring up, Dave, there's a reference to him being childless and hiding in academia. Was that a, look, he's gay, but we're not saying he's gay moment. I took it that way. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, I I agree. I thought he was a really nice character, and and I suspect he is going to be a self-contained character, and he he had a pretty pretty good moment. I thought the way that he learnt about what was going on, he he sort of got past his incredulity in a really honest way way i thought that was really good he made sure that uh, others could go first before him when when it came to the angels and Mm -hmm. he wanted to get back to the doctor yeah i thought thought he was a good guy done done well it was a good performance and when peggy saw him she was very warm towards him gave him a big hug and i thought oh there's some backstory here but i don't know what it is i like that yeah i I thought that was really good i I did like him and i think that was a positive of the episode Mm. uh we had a huge cliffhanger that i thought was i wasn't i wasn't as blown away by as some people i've seen mm-hmm. um i have seen some reaction to this i couldn't help but see reaction to that moment uh, i have to say was it a cool visual absolutely but i think that anything that puts the doctor in too much danger as a cliffhanger just leaves me going well okay we know she's not going to be an angel for the next series uh, yeah so yeah. So all, all, all we need now is to get her out of this. And, and, and the, the question is, you know, does she get out of it in five minutes or does it take an episode? I will give them credit, though, having complained a couple of times now that there's no point having a cliffhanger than showing those characters having a lovely adventure in the, um, in the <laughs> teaser trailer afterwards. I'll give them credit for not showing the Doctor either in the mid-credits scene or in the next time trailer. So, so points for that. They at least are keeping up the illusion the Doctor is a statue. That is, that is good. <laughs> The mid credit scene, I don't know why it was a mid credit scene. I don't really know what it particularly added that couldn't have been a penultimate scene. It, to my mind, made Belle look really stupid. Um, yes. I think it was a really dis- bad disservice to Belle. Like, I, I, I know the gag they were going for, but to be your big post credit scene and sort of go, hey, Vinda's still here. Maybe it was just a contractual obligation they need to pay the guy playing Vinda. I don't know. Um, I know what you mean, though. Like, she's like, I've got limited time. And instead of blurting out her coordinates as the first thing she says, she leaves it to last and doesn't get to say them. Yeah, um, I I thought that it was a bit of a weird scene. 
Um, I'm not quite sure it was placed there, but hey, they're mixing it up and that's cool. Mm. Well, we've covered a lot. Hopefully we've been reflectively positive, but now time to drill down by heading to the sports desk. Let's go. Rob, welcome back to the Sports Desk. Look, this is our fourth iteration. We know what goes on. Let's dive straight in. Who was your player of the week this week? My MVP of the week, Dave, was Jodie Whittaker. I think she was back to her best again after a bit of a detour last week. And it might not have been 100% her best this week, but it was 90% her best. You know, most lines she delivered were spot on. She felt doctorish, or at least what I think her doctor is supposed to feel like. I could believe in her. Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, Jodie being put into an English village in the 1960s with a good script just brought a lot out from her. I thought that was a really positive thing. But my player of the week is the director, James Magnus Stone. Mm -hmm. This was just spectacularly well directed. And given that the Angels are a visual monster, they are a, a scary thing if done well. They were done very well. All the shots were perfectly done. There was interesting mm. stuff going on. The lighting was good. So huge big up to the director, which probably the first time in Flux I've gone, wow, the direction's notably good here. Not that it's bad in others, but here I thought the direction is really outstanding. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, look, I will continue with the foul of the week. Mm. Uh, a couple of minor things here. There was nothing that I was really, really angry at. On this occasion, but the conceit of the angels suddenly talking with Jericho's voice, I thought, no, the great thing about the angels is that they don't talk and they are something you can't reason with. And I'll give a pass for possessing Claire and going into Claire's mind. Okay, we needed that. But just randomly speaking with Jericho's voice, just so they could taunt him a bit. No, that's not the angels. That disappointed me a bit. That was my foul of the week. Okay, I, I would flag that in Flesh and Stone they inhabited that dead guy and talked with his voice. They did, and I hated it there too. Okay, fair and enough. Particularly <laughs> on that case, because they, they they seemed to take over his personality as well as his larynx, which was just bizarre, but um, mm, okay. maybe, maybe I'm carrying some anger from that still, who knows. <laughs> uh, my foul, it was hard to find a true foul, because broadly I thought the episode was quite good, but if I, I had to pick one, it's when Azure does the coalescence thing. I think it was called the coalescence when she zapped everyone from the Sermon on the Mount. And Belle and her new friend dive to the ground and it goes over them. <laughs> and I thought, this is shades of what What was it? Was it the ghost monument where they ignited that gas? And for some reason, people close to the ground didn't get blown up or even singed by all the flames above them. That was really wonky physics. I guess this is a little different. You can make up the laws of the coalescence as you go along. But... It just seemed a weird way to do it. You know, why wouldn't the wave be from the ground up? Why is it a convenient human height? <laughs> you know, if you lay on the ground, it'll go over you. That, yeah, foul of the week for me. Yeah, I thought that sequence was a little bit weird as well, including Azure's reaction afterwards. Like, don't worry, we'll come and get you next time, as though they weren't running away from her. Yeah, <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, a little bit weird, but that's okay. Uh, Rob, what was your play of the week in an episode we clearly both enjoyed? Dave, unlike last week, I was spoilt for choice here. I loved the reveal of the village in space. I loved Jericho standing up to the angels and smashing his TV in with one of them hanging out of it. I thought that was really cool. But I think I would be attacked in the street by listeners if I didn't say it was Jody turning into an angel, which we've already discussed. But just let me add, I don't know why that happened. I know she's being recalled to the Division. Division has used angels in the past. But when we've seen the Ruth Doctor working for them, she's certainly been human. I don't know why they'd do it. 
uh, or the significance of it, but visually and conceptually, the play of the week. Yeah, maybe it's just the Division's version of Bubble Wrap. <laughs> maybe it is. Um, I wasn't as enamoured with that scene, perhaps, as, as others, but I'm glad it, it, it got a mention from you. Um, for me, it was the scene with the angel reassembling the paper, then coming out, then being on fire, because I was sitting there going, okay, well, we all know what's going to happen here. It's going to be a threat. They're going to get away with it. It's sitting in the fireplace, so she'll light it on fire and the fire. Okay, we know what's going to happen. Oh, okay, that didn't work. Wow, okay, and it looks really cool. That, to me, was what was my play of the week. But as you said, spoilt for choice here, and... And spoiled for choice because so much of this was so consistently on tone, really mm. consistently on tone. I felt on the edge of my seat for the vast majority of it. There were many, many sequences that, that were just consistently good. So it was very hard to pick one. So having said all that, uh, let's do our word followed by our score. <laughs> my word, Dave, was precipice. And that's because I felt like we were on the precipice of a classic in the Whitaker era. And like I was saying earlier, I think we've been in this territory only once or twice before, so it felt quite good to me. So, precipice. Yep, I understand that. My word was deliberate, and that is because I think a lot of time and a lot of care has been taken on this one. I think that the writer, the director, the cast, the the special effects crew all knew that they were doing something really good. And for Mm. once, they all were doing the same thing. Yes. And there's a lot of really deliberate care taken to keep this at a really consistent level and a really consistent pace. Uh, look, I'll, I'll keep going and say that I, I did like this episode. There are things in it that didn't quite work. There are things in it that are, once again, and we've said this, I think, every week now, if these things are picked up and resolved properly over the next two episodes, it'll be a big thumbs up. If this is, it turns out to be an episode with a lot of loose threads that remain loose, that will be a shame. We don't quite know that. But look, I think it's the best of the four so far, so I have to give it a nine. Very good. Very good. I had genuinely good feelings about this going into it last week, you know, on the show. Uh, I like to think, though, that they didn't colour my opinions going in. Um, and if I gave War of the Sontarans an eight, I too am giving this a nine. The first time we've been in sync. <laughs> <laughs> it is all season. Yeah, look, it, it it was a really good one, and it's the first one of the four that I've got the urge to go back in the next couple of days and watch it again because I think that watching it for the podcast maybe I've been a little bit too critical on some points, and I need to just now watch this with you know the phone turn off, no notes, and just kind of taking the the vibe of the thing. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, on that very positive note, uh, we will be back on Sunday with our regular Doctor Who show monthly episode where we're having a bit of fun by putting TARDIS crews into other TV shows. Just a bit Mm -hmm. bit of a fun break from all this, but we will be doing all of our listener comments from the last few weeks, including comments on our hot takes and discussing it a bit then. So you won't get entirely away from Flux, but but we will be having some fun as well. So that's out as usual on Sunday morning Australian time. Indeed, indeed. And back the next day with our review of Chapter 5. But until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we're run out of time, so we'll speak next week. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) You've been listening to The Doctor Show. With Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>